Hello everyone and welcome to Nomadic Diaries, revealing the secrets of life on the move amid relocation. Our mission here is to reveal some secrets and some insights about lived overseas or in the nomad lane. And it's to provide information that will hopefully encourage, promote and educate travel and international lifestyles in a deeper, more meaningful way so that you, our listener, can experience a much better time overseas. My name is Doreen Cumberford, and my partner in Nomadic Diaries is Sharon Fields. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Lisa. Our guest today is Lisa Furland. She's an author and crowdfunding expert for fellow authors, strategizing with them to launch their books in new and exciting ways. Residing in the mystical forests of Sweden, Lisa's life is an ever-unfolding source of inspiration, led by her two children and charming husband. Tell us a little bit about you and and how you got started in crowdfunding and how is life in Sweden? (laughs) Yes, uh, we've lived in Sweden for 12 years now. And it has been quite the learning experience. Um, I think I've evolved from someone who was very much dazzled and in the honeymoon phase of life is wonderful. And life is still wonderful, but over time, it, it feels more regular and it just feels like life. And you realize the the fantasy fades away a little and you need to continue to explore and push yourself to continue to find those those elements that make life uh, rich and exciting. And instead of being dazzled by my location, which I still am, but now I'm dazzled by the long-term friendships I've been able to make uh, with, with Swedes here and, you know, in terms of raising children in Sweden, it's a very different experience than what we had uh, in the U.S., and so all of this has been um, quite the opportunity to build a, a really meaningful, purpose-driven life in a different country. So, I will say, over the past twelve years, uh, it's my my whole life has changed uh, very entirely to the point where. We, we feel very committed to staying in Sweden or staying in Europe or, uh, you know, continuing to live our lives outside of the U.S. in a more permanent fashion. Excellent. Um, I can really relate to that because at one point we lived in Saudi Arabia for 15 years and we had to leave because my husband was retiring, although we call it rewiring. And um That was very difficult because I got to the point where I had planted and rooted myself so long. And it was such a personal journey to do that because I hated it at first. And so after 15 years, I did not want to leave. And so I really understand the commitment that you have made and the daily practice that it takes to change your thinking, to stay updated and exploring and learning new things. So tell us about your journey a little bit, Lisa, from you were an epidemiologist and now you are an expert and um, you help authors launch 
their books to reach their perfect audiences. Can you tell us just a wee bit about that transition? Quite a transition, quite a transition, yes. So, you know, they say once an epidemiologist, always an epidemiologist, right? There's will never not be. And that's, um, you know, like many, uh, I, I, I traveled as the partner, the the wife, uh, the the partner with the person who was assigned to the, the job in Sweden. Um, and with it, I came my degree in epidemiology, my master's in public health. Um, however, due to my new location in Sweden, um, public health is a very very government-driven career. Um, and like all countries, you need to be a citizen of that country to work in for the government. So uh, I was unable to practice epidemiology for the five years until I received and we could apply for Swedish citizenship. So during that time, I was writing and connecting with authors and really building my network of fellow partners living abroad and connecting with them. And that's that's really what drove my first two books because I, I needed to channel all of this energy somewhere and I, I channeled it into writing. And um, I, crowd, I didn't crowdfund my first book, but my second book, and it was really great experience with uh, my, my fellow authors and writing as a, as a community and, and reaching out to networks of other people who were interested in our stories. And, you know, publishing this collection of stories was, was really an exciting activity for me. And so that drove my my interest. Really, crowdfunding was a, a means to an end. It was a way to fund the book so I could pay the writers because I felt really passionate about funding the writing of the authors that writers should be paid for their for their work. Um, and, and, and so, you know, this was a means to an end to, to fund the book and make it a sustainable effort. And in doing so, I then, you know, attracted attention. People were saying, hey, can you help me? Can you help me? And then it eventually turned into sort of this accidental business. You accidentally fall into entrepreneurship. And, you know, epidemiology never stopped. I always did that on the side as a consultant. And then, of course, 2020 happened and we had this huge uh, global public health pandemic. And um, so I went back into epidemiology full time. Now as a Swedish citizen, I could do this and I could work. Um, and what was revealed to me very clearly was I, I had been keeping one foot in both worlds. I had been maintaining my public health and I had been doing crowdfunding consulting on the side and working with authors, but I hadn't committed fully to either one. And so they were both limping along and uh, professionally, I was not excelling in either space. Um, and then when I fully committed to epidemiology, I discovered that was not what I wanted to do. It was not the direction I wanted to take my life. Maybe doing doing it during a pandemic is not a good example, but um, it really opened my eyes that you know this was this was not the route I wanted to take. Um, and so, I, after a year of working during the pandemic, I put in my resignation and said, I'm going full-time. Um, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to really follow my passion and um, make a business out of this and make it so that I could become financially independent rather than waiting for someone to recognize my brilliance. I was like, no, I'm going to make this work. Um, so yeah, it, it was it, it was really, a, what a tremendous motivating experience to say, you can do this job that's driving you crazy and you're, you're feeling miserable at it, or you could follow your passion and really be motivated to make this work. Because I knew what was waiting for me if I didn't succeed. I had a, a fire lit under, under my rump. So I was very much motivated to make it happen. And so that's really what helped my business excel in uh, 2021 to now. 
I remember that transition. And I remember your writing about the transition of what it was like to be uh, in um, working as an epidemiologist in the Swedish government. And so my question is, did you discover that there was some layers of intercultural experiences that you were digging up as a result of going back to not only your profession, but your profession in a different environment, in a different language, in a different uh, in a different way of thinking. Can you speak to yes. that a little bit? Yes. Well, and so it, it wasn't just, I wasn't at um, the, the Swedish government public health, but I was actually with the European Centers for Disease Control. So I was working with uh, Italians and Germans and people from the EU. So it was a very unique experience. I was also some Canadians who acquired EU citizenship along the way. Um, but so it was, it was a very unique working experience. And yes, 100% working with uh, in this multicultural, multilingual space was very different than any other type of job I had ever held. And so that was a challenge in and of itself. We all spoke the same language of statistics and math and public health, and English was the, the professional language. Um, but a lot of you know lunch breaks were all in different languages, and people were speaking Italian or German. And, and so it was it was very interesting. This was also during the pandemic where stress levels were very high, and it was it was a different, it was a different experience. Um, so mm -hmm. I would say, yes, definitely a pressure cooker with cultural differences um, as well as professional challenges. Yeah. And did some of that bleed over into your relationship with your husband and your family and, you know, how yes. did they handle you in that environment? Yeah. No, I was, I was miserable. <laughs> I was miserable. Um, and I think uh, I didn't realize what... Um, sort of a weather vane, my emotional status was for the family and how if I was suffering, the whole family would then suffer. Um, because as the person who is at home and picking the kids up from preschool or doing the parent-teacher conferences, I was the one taking on that labor in our household because my husband had an office job. And so because I was an entrepreneur, I could flex. When I was no longer an entrepreneur, I could no longer flex. And that caused a lot of uh, strains. Who's doing this? Who's doing, who's doing what? Um, it also took away my weekends because I was on emergency report duty. Um, and so those, I, I was missing the quality family time that was the reason why we moved to Sweden, which is to have quality family time and work-life balance and everything went out the window. So I was like, why am I even here? Why am I doing? Um, and why choose a profession that's causing so much uh, internal strife for me personally, as well as it, it just wasn't a match with our family. And it, that became very, very clear. So yes, I, I didn't realize that I was the emotional core of our family and that our kids were really looking to how's mama doing and why are you upset and you know why are you talking about this in the kitchen all the time and I don't want to hear about this anymore and so it was it was a very interesting dynamic it sounds like a terrific learning experience though yes yes absolutely. which really launched you into your next iteration yeah so tell us about um the kind of books that or is there a specific genre of authors that you help? Yes. So for the most part, I work with children's book authors uh, because they tend to have the 
most number of expenses related to producing a high quality book because illustrations are expensive and they want to print these gorgeous hardcover, fully illustrated books, which are beautiful, but cost money up front to, to print. Whereas if you're printing just a black and white, all textbook, you can get the same quality with print on demand. So really there's no money required up front. So it's a much lower set of expenses you're paying for editing, um, typesetting, formatting, cover design, but the expenses tend to be less than $3,000. Whereas with children's book authors, their expenses can range you know, eight to 15,000 to produce a high quality book. Um, So in general, yes, I work with children's book authors. I also work a lot with uh, small business owners who are publishing their books as sort of a business card for their services, uh, coaching or uh, strategy, and those sort of leadership books that people are looking for. And they, they publish a uh, a nonfiction book to to sell at conferences and speaking engagements. So, yep, that's that's really it. And it, of course, I, I work with novelists as well, but um, they tend to fall in the the children's book, middle grade fiction, um, YA, or uh, the nonfiction realm. Yesterday, we had a conversation with a, another guest on the subject of um, an intercultural children's book where. Um, the fish was looking at the world. He was pretending he was outside the pond and everything he was described was being described to him looked like a fish. <laughs> and so it really made me think about the gap. Is there a gap in intercultural books for children? Is there a place for expats or repatriated people to write about um their stories through the using the children's book as a vehicle yeah absolutely absolutely there's a gap there's a gap in a lot of uh, diverse uh, areas or multicultural multilingual Um, there are a lot of just unique scenarios or perspectives that aren't published because they don't fit a certain archetype of plot or or main character. Um, One of the authors I worked with, they um, did a graphic novel designed for children 9 to 14, which was really all about supporting the home language and the minority language, if if that is the case. Um, With, you know, he invited the, the reader to write in the dialogue into the book itself. So it can be an interactive tool as well to help multilingual, multicultural children uh, reinforce their home language. So yes, there's definitely a, a need and a gap in the market for these books. Well, that's interesting. Perhaps we should um, we should dedicate a show to that, uh, that exact subject because um, we're gathering the audience together and they come from many disparate Many disparate places. There's expats, repats, um, people who are considering launching themselves. So, what would to to people who are considering currently launching themselves who've never put their toe in the intercultural or um, globally mobile field? What would you say to them? It, since you have 12 years of living overseas as a planted expat and you've gone through all these iterations and your children are now, I think, 12 and nine. Um, what would you say to these people who are considering launching? Yes, I, th- I think it's um, I have different advice. Everyone's going to have their own advice based on their own experience. But my experience is that we've stayed in one country. We've acquired 
one additional language into our family, um, as opposed to the the globally mobile who will right. possibly be, you know, ex- exposed to many different cultures and countries and uh, transitions. Uh, so for me, it was very important to uh, have as few transitions as as possible. There's always transitions in life, um, but not not to. Uh, we didn't need to induce geographical transitions because the job we had was was permanently located in one country. Um, so my goal was to support my children the best way there. So I, I would do research into, you know, what is the scenario you're going to find yourself in and what are the resources available to support your family through whatever experience that is, whether that be a more permanent location or a temporary location. Um, I think it's also important uh, to give yourself maybe more time. I mean, I, I lived abroad before I we decided to move abroad permanently. So I had been a, a traveler uh, before, um, but I had also lived in Brunei for three months uh, doing research for public health. So that gave me a very temporary experience, but experience in a very foreign culture, um, as well as you know traveling in China. So I, I would say if you are open to those types of experiences, you will you will be more open to uh, a more permanent move if that's if that's what it is and and also just to keep in mind that nothing needs to be permanent um you don't have to make that decision right away um but just know the longer the longer you live abroad the often the more difficult it is to transition back <laughs> because yes. you you, you yes. have this this different perspective and different mindset and um so yeah yeah, well, that's it, okay, because one day there will be a book that will be out there and published called Life in the Reentry Lane to help yes. that community. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, yes. And and I I really understand that. Um, when we, uh, my last iteration as an expat overseas um, prior to moving to Mexico was um, we had, I think, five moves in a space of about five years five or six years. And it began to be very apparent to me that I was really transitioning too frequently and too often. Mm -hmm. And that the nature of our daughter was that she really needed and wanted stability and transitioning was not something that needed to be layered on top of her experience. And so that was one of the reasons that we stayed for 15 years and probably would have stayed longer if we could have, because it was just such a a stabilizing force. And the situation we were in, even although we were on a compound in the Middle East and we had limitations, um, we thrived to the edges of our boundaries. And I think that's what we have to encourage everyone to do is find those boundaries, but then thrive to them, grow as and grow beyond them if, if possible. Yeah. So Sharon, do you have some questions? Do you have a question for Lisa? Well, um, I'd like to know what is your bottom line message you, you, to, as far as your journey and documenting your journey and and leaving it as a legacy for your children as well. Yes. Yeah. I I think, you know, for me, when I was between careers or in the midst of transition, I really found that, you know, writing was cathartic. Writing was healing. Um, Even if I didn't share it with anyone, 
I, just the act of writing in a notebook was really helpful for me. And so I encourage everyone to document their experience through whatever medium that is. And then if you do choose to publish it on a blog publicly, you will actually get better at it because you'll be embarrassed if people read really bad writing. So it, it's it's a great way to hone your craft, uh, get feedback, as well as connect with real people who are going through what you're going through. And for me, that was the the best thing was that my writing and documenting my journey actually connected me to other people who are also going through it. And that gave me more of a a support system when I needed it with people who understood as opposed to my family back home. They have no idea what you're going through. And so you may be sharing it with them because they find it exciting and interesting and because it's the biggest news in your life, but they can't really offer too much advice or help, or I've been there. So you can do this, this, or this. Um, So I, I do think that documenting is a really great way to help find your community and uh, reach people who you normally wouldn't wouldn't run into otherwise. Um, so yeah, however you decide to document that, writing, um, creating videos, or posting on social media, whatever it is, um, just create something so that you almost like a journal and you can look back on it and say, wow, we've really come so far. And then when social media shows you a memory from 10 years ago, you're like, oh my gosh, we, we did do that. Or we did see that, or that was really exciting. Um, so it is, it is nice to have these sort of living journals and, and documents of our life. And that's why we call this nomadic diaries, because you have shared with us today, the diary, you let us have a little peek into the diary of your life. But before we close, I have one question for you, and that is in the expatriate or repatriation or for the people who are living overseas, where do you see holes in the niches where there need to be books written for children and or adults? I mean, where do you wish there were more books being written? I think... um... You know, any book that describes the experience of being other or on the outside or um, anyone who is uh, between between spaces or languages or anything, um, just so that we're not feeling on the outside. There are so many people now who are um, voluntarily tra- like uh, transitioning, um, but there's also a lot of involuntary uh, movement in the world with the refugees and everything. And so yes. everyone everyone needs to be, <laughs> our children especially, um, need to be aware of you know the what their experience is and what that might look like, and to you know open open the circle to include. Um, those people and uh, you know understand you know when you feel like you're on the outside it can be very difficult to feel accepted or to feel normal when that's really all you want all you're looking for is a feeling of belonging so um, how we can extend that and open and invite people into our table uh, for dinner metaphorically or or actually uh, over to dinner yes um, so I think I think books like that, anything along those lanes is, is always welcome in the literature space. Well, I just have to say thank you to the amazing Lisa Fairland. And what, where would you like people to find you? Oh, they can head to my website at lisafairland.com and feel free to get in touch with me. Well, it's been a delight to see you again. Yes. And 
and to chat and to sort of catch up. And uh, we hope that our listeners will reach out to you, especially the ones who are interested in writing books and getting support um, for their self-expression out, out in the world. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you for the inspiration. And we will have all your information in the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you.